Opioid addictions and overdoses are a health crisis that has touched every part of our country. Communities have tried several things to address them from increasing treatment beds, providing supervised consumption sites, even safe opioid supply programs. Research is showing that that last option is working in at least one community in London, Ontario, Jillian Kola is a public health researcher, postdoctoral fellow at the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research at the University of Victoria. She joins us this evening. Jillian, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Angela. Uh, can you give us an idea of just how serious a case of opioid addictions is in this country? Well, I think that the bigger issue than opioid addictions themselves is the crisis that we're facing from opioid-related overdoses that have been brought on by the change that's happened in the unregulated drug supply, so the street drug supply that's happened over the last five years, where we've seen fentanyl coming into the street drug supply in different areas of Canada at different rates. In BC and Ontario and Alberta, it happened quite early on. Um, and this has led to just absolutely catastrophic rates of opioid related overdoses. Um, in, we've seen since January of 2016, 30,000 opioid related toxicity deaths in Canada. And so really, I think that the issue what we're thinking about here is how do we stop people from dying from this horrible, horrible crisis of drug related deaths that we've seen due to this shift in the unregulated drug supply. And safer supply programs are one of the multitude of different interventions that have been proposed that might be able to affect a change in this area. Now you have to tell me exactly what it is, because uh, some people, we've gotten used to the term supervised consumption sites, where yeah. the addict will at least bring their drugs in and will be supervised in the event of an overdose or a reaction. How does safe opioid supply programs work? Yeah, so at the at a very, very basic level, what this what these programs do is they take people who are using um, usually fentanyl from the unregulated drug supply, so people who are dependent on fentanyl from the street drug supply, and they put them onto a pharmaceutical opioid, usually um, an opioid called hydromorphone that we have available for prescription in every province in Canada. Um, and they prescribe people um, this opioid on a daily basis so that people can be using this pharmaceutical opioid of a known dose um, and a known provenance instead of using drugs from the unregulated drug supply that are very, very highly volatile and where we don't know the dose of them. That's the essential problem with fentanyl in the drug supply. It's very, very potent. And when you're buying, for example, a point of fentanyl on the street, you don't know how much fentanyl is actually in there. And that variability has led to so many overdoses. So it basically just gives people a pharmaceutical alternative um, to an opioid that they're already dependent on. Now I want to talk about the research that you've been involved in, and it was just published today in the Canadian Medical Journal. Looking at an Ontario community, tell me how London, Ontario is addressing this issue. Yes. So one of the reasons why we looked at the program, the Safer Supply Program in uh, London, is because it's one of the first programs that started in Canada. They started doing safer opioid supply there in 2016. So we have five years of data that we could rely on and look at. And what we did in this study was we looked at health records for all the clients in the Safer Supply Program in London, and we linked them to their health administrative data, which means that we could follow them through time to see how much um, of the health services they were using from the health 
health system. So we focused on emergency department visits, on hospital admissions, and then we also did a calculation for the costs, their healthcare costs. And what we found was that after they entered the Safer Supply Program, their rates of emergency department visits and their hospital admissions dropped very dramatically and very quickly after entering into the program. We also saw very large cost savings from the program um, related to their um, lower utilization of the hospital system in particular. Although I should note there that we weren't able to calculate primary care costs. Um, and then we did a separate analysis looking at their medication costs. And so you said there was uh, an immediate drop off in some of those numbers then? Yes, there was an immediate drop off. And in fact, when we compare the year before coming into the Safer Supply Program with the year afterwards, we saw a very significant decline in the rate of emergency department visits, hospital admissions. We also saw a very significant decline in the rate of admissions for infectious complications, which are infections that often come about from injection drug use. And then we saw significant declines in their healthcare costs as well. So overall, this is a very good news story. When we looked at their health system utilization, we found very strong outcomes um, and very strong positive results from their participation in the Safer Supply Program. Jillian Cola is my guest this evening. She's a public health researcher, postdoctoral fellow at the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research at the University of Victoria, just talking about a recent study that she was involved in when it comes to safe opioid supply programs. And you looked at these individuals. How big of a, a group were you following for those five years? Yes, so that's a very, very good point. This program is relatively small. We were following 82 people who were in the Safer Opioid Supply Program during that period. One of the things that we also did was we matched each of the people who came into the Safer Supply Program with another person in London who was not part of the program, who we say was unexposed to the program during the same time period, so that we could actually see whether the change that we were observing in the Safer Supply clients was due to their participation in the program or whether it was due to something else, for example, a change in the local London drug supply or something else in the London environment that might have changed in that time. And what we found was that in this group of people from London who were not part of the program, but who also had an opioid use disorder, we didn't see any change in that time period. So we didn't see a change in their health services usage. We didn't see a change in their emergency department rates, um, and we didn't see a change in their hospitalizations. And so overall, this really, really gives us confidence that the results that we're seeing are due to people's participation in the Safer Supply Program and not due to something else happening in the community at the same time. Wow, that, that's cool that you're able to even match them up. So the people who weren't part of the program, their hospitalization rates and the times that they spent in ER didn't change. And yet the group that you were studying saw that decline. Exactly. Yes. And so it's one of the, the factors that we were using to try to see, um, again, we wanted to make sure that the results that we were seeing and the outcomes we were seeing here were really due to participation in the program, rather than due to some other factor in the community that might have also been influencing people at the same time. My conversation tonight is with Jillian Cola, a public health researcher, postdoctoral fellow at the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research at the University of Victoria. We are talking about a study that came out today in the Canadian Medical Journal and it is about safe opioid supply programs. And sometimes it's hard to understand using the term safe with opioid. 
But Jillian, just to expand on that, the fact is we hear about supervised consumption sites where addicts are using their own drugs. But in this program, they are receiving opioids, but they are safe. So expand on that, because some people get hung up on taxpayers' dollars going to buy drugs for addicts. Yes. So I, I think that the difficult thing to get our head around here is that when people are taking opioids for quite some time, um, you develop a dependency that is, is really, really quite difficult. And most of our best treatments, our gold standard evidence for treating opioid use disorder involves providing people with a prescribed form of an opioid to allow them to get to a certain level of stability in their lives, stability around their drug use. Um, and in fact, we have now decades of evidence for the um, efficacy of providing people with certain opioid replacements like methadone and buprenorphine. Um, I think that the overdose crisis that we've seen with the introduction of fentanyl into the street drug supply in Canada has changed the calculus quite dramatically because the reason we call these programs safe or safer supply programs is because what's killing people in the Canadian who are using the Canadian unregulated opioid supply is the fact that it's a drug of unknown potency, of unknown variability. You don't know from one day to the next what is in the drugs that you're consuming. And that really, really leads to essentially a game of Russian roulette, um, which has led to very, very catastrophic consequences, both for people who use drugs who are dependent on the street drug supply, as well as for their families and communities. The toll of overdose-related loss and grief that we've seen in communities from the overdose crisis and from so many people losing their loved ones to the overdose crisis has been just awful. Jillian, I don't expect you to know the ins and outs of what it took for London, Ontario to bring in this program, but can you give me an idea of what some communities are facing that are trying to bring in different programs such as this when it comes to buy-in from uh, residents? Yeah, so I can tell you a bit about the story from London. And what happened there was there was a doctor, Dr. Andrea Sereda, who was um, working with people who were very vulnerable and very marginalized. They were the people who were falling through all the cracks in the healthcare system in London. They were folks who were experiencing homelessness, chronic entrenched homelessness, were very street involved, um, and had very problematic patterns of substance use. And in general, what safer supply programs are aimed at are at people who have tried every other treatment option out there and they haven't worked for them. And so Dr. Sereda was um, working with groups of people who were being repeatedly hospitalized for very difficult infections. For example, an infection of the heart valves called endocarditis that is very difficult to treat and res results in long stays in um, the um, intensive care unit. She also had several people who were living with HIV that had progressed and basically destroyed their immune systems. And there was really no way there was no programs in the community that were meeting their needs. They'd tried everything. And so she noticed that some of the people who were coming out of the hospital after a long hospital stay were being prescribed a pharmaceutical opioid that they were picking up every day at the pharmacy and that they were quite stable when they were receiving this prescription. But when the prescription stopped, they went back to the street drug supply and this whole pattern of hospitalizations, overdoses started again. And so she started continuing their prescriptions and it worked. People stabilized 
focused. People started coming to appointments. They started being able to have the space to take care of other health concerns that they had. Um, and so she continued. She kept going. Um, I became involved with the program in 2019, and I started working with them on some evaluations. And overwhelmingly, when we talk to people who are involved in this program, they say that this program is saving their lives, that it's allowed them to reconnect with family and a measure of stability that they didn't have before. Um, the other thing that's important to note is, is that when people, when I asked people as part of the evaluation um, where they were getting their money for um, their street um, acquired drugs, many people were involved in different forms of criminal activities. And when they started on the Safer Supplies program, they stopped being involved in different forms of street hustles and um, different forms of criminal activities. They reported that their rates of interactions with the police and the criminal justice system went down dramatically. Um, and this is actually a finding that we found in methadone programs as well. Um, and so I, I think that it's important to realize that at a certain point, our moralistic views of drug use and of just say no, and how any program that's supporting people is enabling them has actually been making it difficult for us to actually look at what might work, to look at the evidence on what has worked and put that in place in communities so that we can really help folks in our communities who are falling through literally every single healthcare crap in, uh, crack in our healthcare system. Yeah. And, and as I said, there's pushback because of misinformation out there, as you say, the moral views. We are also dealing with a healthcare crisis. We know ERs across the country are either having to scale back hours, they're having a hard time with staff. To me, the results of this would show that you're keeping those potential overdoses out of ER. So people have to see the positive side of this as well. Touch on that. Yes, it's a really, really important point, because I think that we are having a very severe um, crisis in our emergency rooms and our healthcare system as it tries to accommodate the burden that COVID is continuing to put um, on our healthcare system, our healthcare workers. Um, so, for example, this program showing that it reduced the rate of emergency department visits, it reduced the rate of hospitalizations. This is exactly the kind of good news story that we're looking for these days, right? Because we actually want people to be receiving care in community health centers from primary care physicians in the community rather than going to the emergency department or not having their health needs met to the point that they need to be hospitalized in the ICU. And so I think that this overall, like we, this is really strong evidence that this program is having profound in outcome or in outcomes for people that can translate into real savings in our healthcare system in terms of both costs and reducing the burden on our healthcare system. Jillian, thanks so much for your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me.